Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Butch Walker's biography is too long for me to try and do it justice. He and I were label mates as he'll mention towards the end of this conversation, on Electra Records in the late 90s and early aughts. He had already lived a very full and insane life of rock and roll before those years that we overlapped on Electra Records. And after that, he's lived multiple lives subsequently as a producer, as a songwriter, as Butch Walker, recorder of solo albums and performer, incredible performer. His live prowess is something that has to be seen to be believed. And he's a sweet, down-to-earth, funny, humble guy. He's got a big engine, as they say, and that comes through for sure in this interview. He's brutally honest, which I love. And he's funny. You're going to love this conversation. I love talking to Butch. I feel like I don't get to spend enough time picking his brain. And that's, for me, the greatest thing about these wheels off conversations. I love that you guys get to hear him too. But even if they didn't go out to the public, I would continue to have these conversations because... I get so much out of hearing the stories and finding the new perspectives offered up by my guests on Wheels Off. So please welcome to Wheels Off the incredible Butch Walker. Welcome to Wheels Off, Butch Walker. It's so great to have you on here. Good to be on here with you, man. I haven't seen you in forever, so this is a great way to catch up. So. It would be better if it was real life in person. I'd love to see your new studio, but I'll take what I can get. Totally. And where are you today? You're uh, where are you sitting? Are you, <laughs> you, ju- you jumped the gun on my typical first question. I am in my home office in the basement of my house outside New Paltz, New York, in the Hudson Valley. What oh. about you? Where Where are you right now? I am about forty minutes outside of Nashville, uh, out in horse country, and that's uh, at our little what we like to call a yard farm. So. And then it's it's all one spot, right? You don't have a separate place where your studio is and home is. Like they're all in the um, same. They're on the same property. But property, they're, good. Yeah, they're just uh, they're they're uh, you know a couple of football fields away. So nice. That's a that's a good enough um, delineation between life and work. Yeah, I feel like at least I'm. I sort of feel like I'm driving to work. <laughs> nice, even if it's a four wheeler. <laughs> um, congrats on Glenn. You're out there working the the press for it right now, right? Yeah. 
yeah, we're out here just kind of, uh, you know, doing, doing some random interviews and doing, catching up with friends about it. So that's good. God, it sounds incredible. This new record as, as everything you make does, but, um, uh, so I imagine there's already stuff you've been working on since then, but before we get to that, can you tell me a little bit about this new record and where it's coming from? The pitch? Sure. Uh, it So it was a record that I decided uh, to do after making a record for my friend Morgan Kibbe, who uh, was in the band M83, um, and she made this new record that was this just really cool concept she had of, it's an alter ego, uh, funny enough, it's her middle name, Sue, uh, Sue Clayton. And uh, it's kind of based on this fic fictional character, Palm Springs, widow, very tragic, uh, you know, probably was a baller in Hollywood in her day. And now is like doing like, you know, random like phone sex jobs and things like that. And and um, she's she had, you know, th this is very Morgan because she's just very she's a, she's an artist and she's very visual and she's just got a really great um, uh She's got a great brain. And so she sent me all of her her lyrics that were sort of like half-baked lyrics for song ideas and concepts for, for Sue Clayton and during the pandemic. And we Zoomed a couple of times and I uh, sat and put music to a bunch of her lyrics. And what we got was with with the culmination of some other friends of mine that she worked with and other people that she had worked with a group of songs that really really uh are incredible and so that's coming out in february i wish it was coming out sooner but it's it hasn't you know shit we we started it before covid and now it's not coming out till february i'm like god can it please come out sooner but we got on the phone and we were talking about it and i was like god i'm so excited about your record and and I wish I could do something like that. I'm kind of, you know, to quote Springsteen, I'm tired and bored with myself. And I just, want, <laughs> you know, you make a lot of records over the course of 52 years. And so you're like, what, I need to do something. I feel like I just want to always do something that doesn't bore me and whatever, even if it bores fans, it doesn't, if it doesn't bore me, I'm winning. And so <laughs> I just wanted to make a record that was also sort of this alter ego thing based off her concept i was like what do you think of that about me doing a record that's like a brother to your sister you know and um there was a little skit on her record uh one it's actually a, one of the like phone sex skits uh, that's on the record <laughs> uh and uh, the the anonymous caller's name is uh is glenn that calls her and it's me and you know we do this little kind of just cute back and forth skit and um and i i said you know glenn's my middle name i said why don't why don't I make a record that is a basically based on that guy who is in his real life. He's this kind of lonely aging piano singer, songwriter, balladeer who's been playing empty bars his whole life, but is, you know, he's, he's good and he had what it took to make it, but just didn't get his shot. And that's so all too familiar in this business. It's like 80 for fucking percent of the people that do it. Um, and go undiscovered or whatever. And so I thought that, and also it just kind of bled into my real life a little bit from touring for years and playing to nobody many times. And and so I was like, this will, this could be a cool thing. So I started sitting down at a piano. I wrote, um, I have this piano over there that um, that I, it's a, it's a Yamaha Baby Grand Piano, a C3 that I owned, that I bought with some of my first fuck you money I ever made from music back like 20 years ago. And I put it in the house and I wrote like all, I wrote so much stuff on it. I wrote, um, you know, I wrote a record that a lot of my like 
let's call it my fans, they tend to gravitate to is like their romantic first attachment and their favorite record, which is a record called Letters. And it was very much written on piano and it was written on that that specific piano. And um, that, you know, as you know, as a songwriter, writing on piano is different than writing on guitar. And you just, it kind of helps you get outside of your three chords and same bullshit, right? Which I do all the time if I'm writing on guitar. So I sat down to write uh, this Glenn record on that same piano because uh, it made its way from my mom's house because I gave it to her as a gift at, shortly <laughs> at, a few years after I bought it. And then after my dad died, she moved out to a smaller house and didn't have room for it and said, well, you know, it's mine, but you can still, you, you can keep it. And so uh, I put it back in, it's in my studio now. So t I got reunited with this thing over the pandemic. And of course, as you do during a pandemic, you get sad. And so I sat at the piano and just write it, it just started writing all these songs that were, that were all of those, all of those um, you know, memories, those core memories of sitting and listening to, you know, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy and, and, and the stranger and, uh, and, you know, Zevon and, uh, Jackson Brown and all that stuff that just started flooding back into my, my memory, you know, Todd Rundgren and everybody, you know, just like from that era that like when you hear a piano in the song, it's like, Oh man, I, I missed that. I want to do that. So, so that's where that was the genesis of this new record, really. And you get to be Glenn. And I get to be Glenn. I get to be my middle name. I get to be my great uncle that I never knew that was apparently a character. So I know that um, that record's probably been in the can for at least a few months, right? Yeah, a few months. Yes. Yeah. This and, is this was a quick burn. So. And yeah. And so when you go through that, what you're going through now, um, working the record, the press, doing all the pub for it, getting ready to do some dates, um, that record's been in your rearview mirror for a little while. And knowing you as I do, I imagine there's something that maybe has come up since then. So I'm wondering what creative project are you working on now and how does it light you up? Um, well, it's, it hasn't been anything for myself. It's just been back to kind of helping and other people make records, which is great, uh, and super fun. And, uh, you know, one thing I'm super excited about that I'm helping finish up right now that we worked on literally over the entire pandemic. And it's, we're probably two songs away from finishing is, uh, the new, um, Bethany Cosentino, uh, debut record. And, um, you know, if you're familiar with, uh, her from best coast, uh, she's, she's a powerhouse. She's really great. And this record is, it's phenomenal. I'm so excited for people to hear it too. I know I sound like my own hype guy, but, <laughs> no, but there's just so fine. many records that I've been sitting on for so long during this pandemic that I'm just like, God, I can't wait for people to hear these. And, um, and this one in particular, I'm super excited about. So we get back in in September and we round it out and we're finishing it. And, um, she's just, she's, she's so great. So. Do you, uh, do you, you must still wind up doing a lot of sessions where you just write with folks? Is that still a big part of your, you know, I've, I've done it way less, uh, way less lately. And I think that's just due to, well, it's due to the elephant in the room that we've been yeah. talking about. And, um, and it's due to just also having, um, I don't know there, I, I feel like in that ebbs and flows in my life, as far as, uh, being fluid with songwriting. Sometimes I just don't have as many ideas 
And sometimes those ideas, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna that's I'm gonna keep that for me, you know, or I'm gonna do that for my record. And also just coming off of a little writing, like you know, like like spout of doing this Glenn record, um, you know, sometimes I'll sit back and can't go right back into writing for people or with people. So I know that sounds whatever. I'm just I'm not a, I'm I wish I was a machine, but I'm not a machine that way that can just like pump them out every day and go like, what are we gonna write about today? Ah, and just tear into it and like, you know, at the end of the day, it's great. That's not what happens. I just I dry up like a fucking well, and and I'll dry up and then a few months later it'll just all come pouring back. And I don't know. That's it's been like that since since I started songwriting. You know. So I feel like I've always known of you. We've been on parallel paths for a long time. I feel like you started this when you were so young and had some success really pretty young too. And, but I, I wonder, do you remember when it started, when you knew this was it for you? Did you always know, or was there an epiphany moment that you knew music was going to be your life? Yeah. Well, sure. Uh, There absolutely was a moment and, you know, I've always told this story. It's funny. My, you know, I, my, my friends brought a record to school by the band uh, Kiss when I was eight years old. And I was like, oh, okay, interested. And so, <laughs> I, you know, I dove in because I was like, these guys look fun. And I had not even gone to a circus yet. You know, like I hadn't even gone to a concert. I'd never seen a band in concert. So when I saw commercials on, on the local, like public access Atlanta station uh, back on the cable TV, uh, when I was eight in 77, 1977, um, fuck I'm old. And, uh, it was, <laughs> I, they were coming, kiss was coming to the Omni arena in Atlanta for two nights, uh, new year's Eve, Eve and new year's Eve. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, my birthday's in November. Christmas is in, De- is in December. I don't want anything for either. If you could just get tickets and we can go see this band, if we could just go see Kiss, you know. And for some reason, my parents reluctantly agreed, and they uh, they bought tickets for the whole family. We got nosebleed seats to go New Year's Eve Eve. Uh, no, I remember. I mean, I can still see the concert stub. It was December thirtieth, nineteen seventy seven, at the Omni in Atlanta. I think it was like seat five thousand Z, and we were literally touching the the the, the you know the arena ceiling <laughs> at the very back. Um, but it was mind blowing. You know, I mean, I'm sitting there. Every moment was mind blowing. Showing up there was mind blowing. Everybody in the whole place was dressed head to toe in kiss clo- costumes and makeup, um, and you know, the, there was, you know, beach balls getting thrown around as you did. Seventies concerts were a, were a fucking event back then. You know, it wasn't like a stand around with your phone up videoing now and oh. you, were, you were immersed and it's the first time I'd ever smelled weed and it was just a thick fog, like the, like the fucking golden gate bridge of fog <laughs> in this, in, in the whole arena. And, you know, all of this is making me just big, wide-eyed. And guys are guys in Gene Simmons makeup are passing joints over my my little conservative mom to the to people over in the row in front of us. And my two older sisters are like this, and I'm just like, like I'm just all smiles. And um, the lights go out, 
Um, well, not first. The first, the opening band goes on, and Kiss makes the opening band play with the house lights on, which is <laughs> such a dick move, but very Kiss. <laughs> so my first live concert is the opening band, and it was I remember like it was yesterday. It was a guy spinning and throwing, throwing. He was really trying to put on a show. You know, he was like spinning and throwing guitars 50 feet in the air to his guitar tech catching them off stage i was like oh that's a that's cool one day i'm gonna do that and um and then uh the the band was called piper turns out that that was the lead singer piper at that time uh that guy doing all that on stage was billy squire <gasps> so, yes so my first concert was billy squire and then the lights go out and twenty thousand stoners go mental and you know, you wanted the best, you got the best, the hottest band in the land, Kiss. It's the Love Gun Tour. It's the height of their pomposity, excess, you know, stage setups, the whole, I mean, right before the first crash and burn, it's literally the pinnacle. So, you know, we sit there and watch that for an hour and a half and I'm a changed kid. I'm a changed, forever changed. Uh, so I started playing drums immediately, uh, then realized that, I didn't like sitting. Uh, <laughs> and so I started taking guitar lessons after. And so by like 11 or 12, I maybe started playing guitar. And then by the time I was a teenager, I was a full on shred machine immersed in metal, all things metal, all things British metal, all things American metal, all, all things three, three guitar metal, uh, dual harmony, guitar metal, uh, you know, virtu virtuoso metal, all of that. Like, you know, that I just was like this, you know, yeah. you know, Eddie Van Halen came along. That was a big moment for me, Rhett was, um, kiss ruled my world and nothing else mattered. And I didn't know any other bands. And then my sister's boyfriend at the time, who was two years older, lived right behind us. He was a little rock and roll dude. And I, you know, he didn't look the part or anything, but he always had, he had great rock and roll records. Cause he had an uncle who was in a band. And so he brought over this record, Van Halen's first album. And he goes, Hey, I'll trade you love gun for this. If you want to listen. And I was like, sure and i i didn't know what to expect but i went and i put it on and it would that changed my life forever changed my life because i it, i heard eruption and was like this is not a guitar what is this is a space this is a fucking space alien how is he doing this no one could even come there was no youtube or, or even mtv yet there was no way to visually see what this guy was even doing everything was ears i had to just listen and take it in and go i don't even is he how's is he playing it what is it? What, what is that? How is this even done? So anyway, the quest was on and that was it. It was just from there. It was, you know, I mean, obviously it's taken them wild turns to get to here, but I mean, it's, it, it, I think a lot of kids uh, that were my age at the time probably were introduced to rock to music by metal and by guitar. Cause it was the late seventies, early eighties and guitar ruled that was the DJ of, of that. That was the rock stars were the guitar players, you know? Uh, a lot of people don't really know about like the fits and starts and failures that happened before their favorite artists, you know, come into their, uh, you know, awareness. And for you, there was a lot, like you did a lot. Do you feel like there, do you feel like there were failures? Do you feel like there were things that you did that you just had to get out of your system? How important was that? Oh, sure. I mean, well, I mean, I, I failed my whole career, you know, I mean, I, 
I've, I've failed my entire career and that's what fuels me to keep going is like every time I do something and get cocky and start kicking ass and doing well, you get the rug pulled out from under you and then you have to start all over again. Uh, I feel like that still happens today. I mean, it, not to as much of an extreme uh, example, but, you know, definitely, definitely still happens. And I'm fortunate that it happens uh, less frequently, but it still happens. So I, I feel like... um. I feel like you just have to have a lot of blind, dumb ambition and and be uh, obliviously ignorant, which the beauty of growing up pre-internet age was I didn't know anything. You didn't know what was about. To, you didn't know what the consequences were. You didn't know what the outcome was if you didn't succeed. You didn't know there was no uh, there was no behind the music shows. There was no VH1 store like there was none of that to like to warn you. Because uh, I I would be frightened to death to get into this business now, but because I you know too much, you know everything before you start. Um, whereas then it was just literally just completely oblivious redneck idiot just going fuck it I don't, I, don't, I don't got nothing else to do, you know. So it's like in Cartersville, Georgia, I got nothing else to do except sit around and work a regular job, which sucked, or like even teaching guitar lessons, 15 students a week, just to like save up my money to move to LA when I graduate high school. That was my plan. And that's what I, that's what I did. But, um, you know, it was like in Atlanta, I could only go play bars in Atlanta. And luckily I had, luckily my parents were cool enough where they didn't like cause a stink. If I like went to play clubs on school nights, I played clubs five nights a week and had to get up and go to high school, you know, at six, I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to get ready for school. And I'd just gotten in and gone to bed at 2.30 or 3 the night before. And so I did that all my junior, senior year. Uh, but when you're that young, you have you have a extra camelback of energy that you don't even know exists. And, and it's determination. Uh, and my determination was to get out of that town. It was to get out of a small town. It was to go to where people were able to do this and try it and give and give it my all. So... I think that was the first, that was the first success for me was leaving. Leaving was the first success. Getting there and having to, you know, find a one bedroom unair conditioned apartment with six guys and live because that's all we could afford in the center of Hollywood in the drug, you know, like in the, in the drug block of Hollywood and, and get a job just to like, you know, supplement our supplement our 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 night job which was going out and promoting on the sunset strip with flyers every night and uh you know trying to get shows and stuff that was an, that was a success and then getting a record deal 10 10 months after being there with a, being a bidding war band and getting a record deal with virgin records and then doing a record and doing videos and doing the whole thing and then it crashing and burning after one tour there's the first failure and the big that's a big failure that's a back to the fucking van do it yourself start over nobody's here to help you um i'm condensing it i know because this is like I'm, I, I'm i'm sure you can tell i'm very trained to talk about the life story here but uh at this point in my life but but it's definitely there's a lot of there's a lot of details i'll spare you but that was the beginning of many successes and failures you're so good at it. I've heard you tell um, different elements of your story over the years, and I and I always love it. Do Do you ever think you might write a memoir? Um, well, funny enough, I did. Uh, there's a book called uh, "Drinking with Strangers" that I did. <gasps> uh, obviously, not a bestseller, but well, um, 
But it definitely was Harper Collins asks me asked me if I wanted to write a book and uh, the Harper's College you know Harper Collins Publishing and I was like um no and uh, they were like well we love your journals you're always like writing on your blog online back when that was a thing and and um I was like well that's cool so you know I got talked into it you know they waved a little money at me and they said here's a you know go write a go write a book you know and I did and um and you know. It was all stories about being, you know, drinking with strangers. It was a, it was how you meet uh, half the people in your life, and a lot of very important people in your life, and the worst people in your life, and and the stories that ensue. And so that was kind of my um, memoir, I suppose, of like, but mostly just road tales and like things, store studio and road tales and uh, warnings, you know. When did uh, that? When did that? I'm embarrassed that I, I didn't know that. That's okay. I don't remember, man. I was. I mean, you don't need to. You don't. You shouldn't remember because it. It was a blip on the radar. I think it was probably like a, a decade ago. Sure. It was like ten years ago. Um, and did you make an audiobook for it? More like eleven or twelve years, even. I don't even know. No, I didn't because that wasn't a thing yet. That was not oh. really a big thing yet. But uh, you know, it, it would be fun in hindsight to go back and do that. You know, but doing a book is so. Uh, it's a drag because you, you, they put you with, a lot of times they try to put you with an editor, like a ghostwriter or whatever. Um, I did, I didn't love that aspect, even though I love the guy, I loved the guy, Matt, that I worked with, but you want it to be in your voice. So all the talks and interviews, once it gets translated in somebody else's writing, guess what? It's not your journals and your blog anymore. It's not your writing style. It's theirs. And so I had to go back and kind of rewrite a lot of it and, and myself. And it was, uh, it was exhausting because I was working in the studio every day all the time making records and having to come home and edit a book um, to put it back into my words. And um, I don't necessarily regret that part. It's, uh, it's more just, um, you know, what, when you got down to it, I started realizing when I was telling these stories and all that, I was like, oh man, you know what? I don't want this to sound like a gross tell-all. I don't want this to sound like I'm a dirt book. I'm dishing on people. Like, I mean, so, you know, that's karmically terrible. So I, um, you, I basically just, they, they sit you down with this legal you know, person at the end of the whole thing anyway, to do the due diligence process where they basically go through it line by line of anything they've yellow highlighted and red flagged to say, did this really happen? Because if it didn't, this person could sue you. And can you prove it in court that this could happen? And when they start throwing those words around, you're like, fucking take it out. Take that out. Oh, and take that out. And take that out. And the next thing you know, half the book of, of the best stories are not in it. And they're oh. and they're gone. Yeah. Because you don't want to do that to people. And I don't want to I, I don't I don't want to write something and then go to fucking court, you know, <laughs> for it. Like that doesn't sound fun at all. Um also also you change names of people a lot of times. Yeah. To keep that from happening. Uh but other, I, I think if I did it again, it would be mentioned no one but myself. <laughs> well, I, I think it really speaks be to very you. boring. <laughs> I think it speaks to your level of, you know, like you are, you are so involved with everything you do and you, you're like, your level of commitment to me has always been so admirable. Like you throw yourself 100% into 
into your projects. And so, of course, you would sit down and rewrite the ghostwriter's work. I I did an interview once with a, a magazine writer who on the side ghost wrote stuff, and he had ghost written a novel that was to be published as if it had been written by a woman who was like a reality TV star at the time, a young woman. Um, who wanted to write a novel. She thought it would be cool to write a novel, but she didn't want to write a novel. So this guy ghost wrote it for her. Yeah, He said it was about to come out and he couldn't get her to read it. She was going to have to like answer questions and go and do interviews, but she'd never read the novel. She had not read. Maybe maybe had never read, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. That's a tough job. Yes. Yeah. I don't recommend that to anybody. (laughs) So, so yeah, so I love um, your stories about the stuff that you, that we come up against in our job and, and how we get through it. And I feel like you've always done that in such a positive, fun way. But I wonder about when you run up against internally generated stuff like negative voices in your head, uh, the things that come up a lot are imposter syndrome, success, guilt. Roseanne Cash talks a lot about feeling guilty of the success that she's had. Yeah. Uh, just the different things that um, the sort of internally generated obstacles. I wonder when you come up against those, what have you figured out as far as how to get beyond them, past them? Microdosing. That gets really? I don't get, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that's like, I definitely am doing that now. And I, I know that's like very hip thing to do, but I had to try other things uh, that were not working, you know, before for, for therapeutic reasons. And, and uh, I feel like that's been something that has helped tweak my brain a little bit. Mushrooms uh, or LSD? Mushrooms. Okay, cool. Like very small doses, not like I, I'm not a drug person. I am not good at functioning drunk, high, nothing. I mean, I, I, I proved wrong. I proved that wrong on stage. I was a really pretty incredible live show when I was hammered, but <laughs> it was, but it was tumultuous and you didn't know what you were going to get. And I would fight audience members and do all that. And so, mm. so I don't drink on, I don't drink and play anymore really. Um, but like, you know, things I'm just not very good at doing is taking the bull by the horns creatively and getting in the studio and working with anything in with anything altering my perception of reality or anything. So I can't like just I'm, I, I I admire stoners. I admire people that come in and go, OK, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one, 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 zero. And they're like on the computer making amazing music and art and crazy shit. And I'm like, I'm in the corner going, they're looking at me funny. They're <laughs> laughing at me. They're laughing at me. You know, I mean, it, it's a type A personality control freak. I can't be out of control of my mind and body. I can't. Uh, not when I'm working. It's an escape thing for me. But like, but I found a good bl- blend and dose of like microdosing, you know, mushrooms, which psilocybin is what the term is and um it's pretty great like i mean as far as what it you know it just makes you happier and uh, without without it being you know uh, a chemical made up in a lab um and so and it and it and it just uh kind of evens out my neurosis because i'm a neurotic ocd person i uh, just always have been uh but that doesn't answer your question. Your question was, you know, how do I deal with that, with uh, the imposter syndrome, the the voices in my head, that, that kind of thing. Um, it helps. What I said helps. But it's uh, but but I think we all go through that. I think we all definitely have that. I mean, I, I call them shower thoughts because, you know, I'll just be in the shower punching the, the wall 
sometimes talking out talking out loud to myself or talking quietly to myself depending on who's in the next room <laughs> and and trying to just like you know process what would some aggravation in my brain and uh and uh i'll do that and i'll just and a lot of times a lot of times i'll i'll do it when i'm on my motorcycles too because like i'm riding a lot i i when i'm you know uh i'm alone with my thoughts there's no music it's just you so you think a lot you know and that that can be good for my brain it can be also be bad for my brain and i i feel like that constantly you know i get those weird dark moments where i'm like you know, oh, everything I've done is a lie. <laughs> my name's not even Butch. Like, what the fuck? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an, you know, I'm an imposter. Literally, you know, it's like you said. Um, and then you know, you can then you can find ways to snap yourself out of it and make that actually make the make that actually work for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like it can be a good thing that you're an imposter your whole life. You know, and not yourself. It's so so many people when I when I ask him about that the the idea of meditation comes up and to yes. hear to hear you describe it it almost seems like your motorcycle time is meditation med yeah yeah that's my it's very meditative um and it's also and i do meditate as well every once in a while uh i have the apps you know <laughs> uh and you know i'm not like transcendental you know uh four hour silence try silencing me for five seconds it doesn't happen. I talk in my sleep. I have opinions in my sleep. So it's like, I mean, that, that's a, there's a, there's a lot of forms to get it out and meditation is great in all forms of meditation. And you're right. You know, biking is one of those things for me, for sure. That's so cool. Is it, are you able to, to bike right now? Is it too hot? So hot. It's so gross. <laughs> I love the South, but I fucking don't miss the summers and I could care less if I ever spend another summer here. I'll be glad to pack the bags and batten down the hatches and leave and uh, and just not come back for the summer and go to Maine or something, which is probably just as hot now. But like still just like I, I it's so gross out. Like, I mean, and it rains all the time in the summer here, but like that, there's trade offs. I mean. I miss, I miss being able to ride in California 365, 24 seven, uh, but you pay an exorbitant weather tax there. Uh, and I, I don't want to pay that anymore. <laughs> I'm sick of paying it, but it's, uh, it's also, it's also, I, I still ride all the time. I ride in, I ride in the heat. I don't mind it. I can, once you're out and riding, it doesn't feel bad. It yeah. only feels bad when you're stuck in, I don't want to go to downtown Nashville and get stuck behind 17 pedal taverns. Uh, or a tank with a bunch of bachelorettes on the back of it, you know, <laughs> like an army tank with a beer bar on it. So I don't want to get stuck in that shit on a bike because you'll just overheat and die from a, you know, from a 5,000 degree motor under you, not getting any ventilation or air. So I live out in the country and yeah. that's actually great for me because there's no cars out here. So there's, I, it's mostly bikes. Like yeah. you know, I'm recording and I hear Harleys go by all the time. You know, I just hear bikes, you know, go by constantly, but it makes me smile. So um, I love the, I feel like you're such a font of information. And when we've worked together, I feel like uh, every time I'm around you, I, I feel like I learn a lot. And, um, and this interview has had a lot of really useful stuff in it. I wonder if you'd be willing to try and distill your wisdom, like like we do for our kids in a way, if you imagined a 21-year-old version of yourself in today's world, dealing with the, all the bullshit of right now, what would you, what advice would you give yourself? 
Hmm. Well, I would start by saying don't get tattoos till you're 30. Don't start. You'll <laughs> you think you'll have it all figured out, but that Pearl Jam logo on your upper right arm is gonna probably not age well. By the time you're 50, you're gonna be bummed, uh, or you're gonna be stoked. I don't know, but most nine times out of ten. Uh, wait, just wait. Don't cover up all of. Don't 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 lose all of your real estate uh, by the time you're 25 years old, and think that everything you've got on your body is a work of art. You know, when by the time you're 50, you're like fucking hell. Look at half of this garbage. You know what was I fucking thinking? Anyway, I would start there. I would also say that in the in this climate, musically, business wise, everything now. It's an exciting time to be alive and making music in 2022. It is a great time to be alive and being per pursuing a career. If you're going to do that, I don't recommend pursuing a career in music, but if I'm going to, it's better now than it was when I was doing it and you were doing it when we first started out. We're literally like, oh, I got to go into the studio and make a demo that doesn't sound like shit because I can't do it at home because these things called computers don't exist yet. And, you know, I can't, I don't, I can't make something good enough at home to get through the big doors at the rec at the you know radio station that at the time that mattered and like getting you know it was just a whole different game where one in a million chances for your band now there's a million chances and there's a million artists putting out records every day and it's the wild west and everywhere you go on on streaming services or or anywhere online you're getting to hear I, i'm getting to hear something new that i love every 10 seconds and that's one thing i will say i would tell a 21 year old me is focus because there is no focus now there is 20 million artists to listen to and you're going to only listen to 10 seconds of each song if you let yourself immerse yourself immerse yourself in one artist for a minute get invested get emotionally invested you don't see a lot of emotionally invested people in one artist now they're just emotionally invested in the knowledge of the artist the the of acknowledging that they know who that artist is uh it's bragging rights saying you have fifty thousand songs on your phone as opposed to having five good ones or five that you really know back back and forth uh so i feel like in consumerism and in the me 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 of it i would say get emotionally invested in in artists and also i would say uh, learning to record and produce it all and take a little, all those matters into your hands, no matter how limited you are with your resources, this, you know, back then there, there weren't, but I still learned it. I still learned the craft. I learned how to do it. So, that, cause I didn't ever have the money to go and do a $2,000 a day, 24 track recording studio at the time, which would have been state at the state of the art to have a tape machine with 24 tracks available on it to record to. Now you can have limitless on a computer and fix it all and make yourself sound like a singer when you're not make yourself sound like a drummer when you're not. Um, I would say learn, learn it, like put in, put in at least, put in a thousand hours at least of each craft, you know, learn a little bit of all of it. Um, it will affect your social life at first, but it will probably get you more friends and fans later. And then you'll be able to make up for that lack of social, uh, you know, back and forth that you missed out on uh, going to football games when you were stuck in your house learning how to record on a four track cassette player. 
you know. I, I love that the way you come at it is such a positive spin where so many p- people get hung up on the fact that the bottom fell out of the industry. There's no more money left. It's, you know, everybody is just like it's the Tower of Babel shouting over each other, you know, fighting for the scraps. But yeah. but to you, the Wild West is a good thing. Yeah, the only people complaining about that are older people. And and I'm and I'm older, you know, so I I, I could easily qualify for that. Uh, and I easily could say that about even my day job, which, you know, being a producer where you, I'd be lying if I said that it paid what it used to pay. It doesn't. doesn't matter how successful you you stay or how relevant you stay. There's no budgets for music anymore. There's no budgets for making records anymore. Nobody has like $150,000 to make an album anymore, which is crazy that it was even that much ever at the fir- in the first place. But the fact that, that yes, any driven kid with marginal talent and a laptop can make a record that sounds like it belongs in arenas and on the stages and in the world and on radio and anywhere, uh, because it's easier to do now. It absolutely is easier to do, but I'm all for it because I'd be a hypocrite if I said, you know, I I was the same guy who we wouldn't be talking right now if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, my band, The Marvelous Three, who we we were label mates, you and Mm -hmm. I at at Neglectra Records. (laughs) And um, there's the dig, there's my negative dig. But like, but like we were label mates and, and the only reason I even got a record deal with them anyway for that band was because my fucking gym of a girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, uh, put me, I didn't have a pot to piss in and she bought me this raggedy old used, like archaic version of Pro Tools at the time, which was also archaic at the time, the new ones now. But like, it was, this was like 98, 97. And I was like, oh, I gotta learn how to record on, I gotta, I gotta learn how to record on this uh, new thing, this new Pro Tools, this new like computer recording. I've been, I've grown up on tape my whole life and it's too limited and everybody's making records on these computers now and I don't know how to do it and I don't have the money to buy all this shit and so on. And you know, I started putting layaway money down on this, literally this, you know, pathetically putting $20 is all I had down on like a, on a used computer Pro Tools rig that was an older system. Somebody had brought in like this, this R&B group Silk out of Atlanta had put it it on like put had put it on consignment at the music store and it still had like background vocals in it on the hard drive. Oh, you know, like when I, when I booted it up and it was funny, but like, um, my 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 wife bought me that uh, with her bartending money at mm. the time, and I literally sat home not knowing how to even turn on a computer, and was like, "What am I doing? What do I how do I?" Learned it all, sleepless nights, falling asleep in a, in in my underwear at the at 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 the desk, recording what would be that first marvelous three record with that song "Freak of the Week," which got which shot to top five on the radio and was recorded in my bedroom. And so it got me to where I am now. All the chain of events after that started right there. They all started right there because we were literally just a nobody band, a local band in Atlanta, Georgia, just duking it out to get anybody to come to our shows. And that's where it started. So the fact that like I have like you know, that it started with home, doing it all at home and doing it yourself, DIY. 
I'd be an asshole if I said that I'd be bummed that that's the way it is now. It should be that way. I champion it, you know, and I'm excited that it's that people that more kids are not relying on some old 65 year old fat dude in a suit uh, sitting up at the dart at the Death Star Sony building in New York City with all of with his like, you know, you know, musty drapes and like old CDs in the corner and sad looking offices. Kids are doing it themselves without them. And that's fucking badass. I love that's it. Cool. You have a way of making everything you do, whether it's writing songs or rocking out on stage or um, you make it seem really easy. And I love that, like such a big message that you've shared today is the hard work element of it, because that's something that really I don't think people see when they look at. I mean, certainly anybody like me that's worked with you sees it, but I don't know if the fans see it as well. But I really love it because I feel like that's the ultimate message that you can share, especially with kids coming up. Thank you. You have to. Well, you got to, man. I mean, my kid is he's 15 and, you know, he's really struggled with identity and friends and he's an only child and he's he's definitely got lots of challenges but he's super gifted and super talented and and just a beautiful heart and i'm here to do nothing but encourage people like him because i remember what i remember being that kid and i remember being thinking well the alternative is working at the 7-eleven the rest of my life you know because i don't i'm i don't have any this is what i want to do you know so uh, or a job I don't want to do. It yeah. works. Like, you know, maybe you love working at the seven and then if you do, then God love you. Cause we, we gotta have you. But like, um, I, I just want people to be able to, it's not easy to do, but I want people to be able to be successful doing what they love. Yeah. It's funny. And that's the other thing that I really love about this conversation is that you made a point to point out how you're parents really supported you and it would have been easy for them to shit on the, these crazy ideas you had and you know and your girlfriend now wife and like you know it's we we share this you you had help getting where you are and you're helping now in turn your own son and it's just that's beautiful well and you know it's not exactly a romantic uh it's not like a super edgy punk rock story you're supposed to say you came from a family that beat you and and you know your dad died when you were four and left or whatever and 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 i i don't have that background i just don't now i didn't have parents we didn't we didn't have we were very middle class we didn't have money growing up so i didn't my parents didn't like they didn't support they didn't like fund my 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 aspirations i mean they my dad made me work for every cent of it my first guitar and amp i had to buy by by literally not cutting grass at home for chores i had to do chores regardless he wasn't going to pay me more money to do chores to buy something he he made he made me go out in the neighborhood and get grass cutting jobs cutting all the neighbors yards and that's what i did and i saved up for an entire summer to buy like my first pv amp and fender guitar when i was like whatever like my son's age now or at younger actually i was like 13 so yep. um, and that's that's you know he he made me work for it it didn't it wasn't handed to me that's for sure but the emotional support the emotional support was fucking great like they yeah. they, they they struck a deal with me which was invaluable which was uh in a town like that was very footloose in Cartersville, Georgia, and, you know, kind of looked down on by many of my friends, parents, 
uh, you know, evangelical, you know, weird Southern Christian thing like where they, they didn't want their kids listening to rock music unless it was, uh, you know, Christian music. And that was, that was tough. So my, my family who were also religious, but at the same time knew, I knew there was no turning back for me. I had already, you know, after, as of eight years old, the damage had been done when, with the Kiss concert. And so when I wanted to go play in my band, which was all guys that were already out of high school, they were already like 25. They were dudes I met in Rome, Georgia. Had to go, had to go to a whole other city. I couldn't even find people in my town my age that were allowed to play music, let alone even cared about it. They all played football. They didn't care about like music. So I went to Rome and Rome was a town 30 miles away where I was taking guitar lessons and formed a, formed a, a hard rock band and we uh, we played clubs. We, we, we were playing bars six nights a week, like I said, where I had to get up three hours later and go to high school. But my mom and dad let me do that when there's no fucking parent in that town that would have let their kid ever ever do that um they said though there's conditions and you can do this as long as you maintain passing grades because they were i was ready to quit i was ready to i was ready to quit high school by the time i turned 16 i already told them i was like i'm gonna quit when i'm 16 by the way and they're like oh okay well where are you gonna live (laughs) and i was like oh that's a good question you know because you're not you don't have shit figured out when you're that age but all i knew and, and i was like I was like, well, I'll get, I'm going to, I'm going to support myself with my artist career. You know, like, oh, you are. Okay. You know, but they said, listen, we'll cut you a deal. You stay in school, finish high school, move to LA, all more power to you. While you're here under our roof, we'll feed you just like parents do. But if you can just maintain passing grades, you can go play clubs six nights a week. We'll see how that goes for you. I think they thought I would crash and burn because it would be like a week of sleeping three hours a night and like falling asleep with eyeliner running down my face and big hoop earrings and hair down to here in class the next day. And and they were like, he's going to start failing and he's going to and we're going to say, nope, you're done. You're cut. No more. Um, I, I didn't. I turned up the heat and I ended up like I ended up like graduating with like all A's and B's. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do this and approve to them. I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them I can do this. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Well, this is fucking great. People are going to love this. Thank you so much for being on Wheels Off and spending time with me today, Butch. This is awesome. Yeah, sorry I talk so much. <laughs> that's the, No, that's the whole point. That's how podcasts work. I that's love great. it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, dude. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Oh, no. The wrath of the buzzard.
WMMS. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.